Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to the Adventure Podcast, and this special episode recorded at Kendall Mountain Festival 2023. This is a definite deviation from our standard episode format, and instead of focusing on a single individual, instead this is the recording of a live panel discussion in front of a crowd. I was asked to co-host this discussion alongside my pal Matt Barr, who runs the Looking Sideways podcast, where Matt seeks to uncover the most interesting stories in action sports and other related endeavours. In many ways, Looking Sideways is kind of a spiritual sister to the Adventure Podcast. Matt and I have similar passions and interests when it comes to journalism and storytelling. But the difference is that where I focus on the worlds of adventure and exploration, Matt looks to the action sports world. Naturally, there's huge crossover, and we've shared more than a few guests over the years. I've been a fan of Matt's show since before I started mine, so if it's piqued your interest, then go and check out Looking Sideways. So, this episode... The theme of our panel discussion was the power of storytelling, new perspectives. Matt and I both wanted to push things a little further than we normally might, as we both get a bit fed up of the same old cliches being thrown around inside our echo chambers. We invited Adam Raja, Soraya Abdul Hadi, and Lauren McCallum to join us. We cover three main topics in overview vulnerability in storytelling, how to take climate storytelling out of the echo chamber, and is long form content dying? This podcast gets a bit full on in some very good ways. It's emotional, it's deep, and it's perhaps controversial, but I'm okay with that. The subjects we discuss are close to our hearts, and there's regular fruity language throughout, so consider that a warning. I hope you enjoy it, and I have a sneaky suspicion that Matt and I will do a few more of these in the future. Okay, let's crack on. should stand, shouldn't I? was dancing in here till uh, the very early hours of my kids and I'm sort of regretting it now. When you dance with 20-year-olds, you think you're 20 and then you wake up in the morning and you think, yeah, that was a mistake. But anyway, <laughs> good afternoon and really lovely to see you all. Um, welcome to the Sunday of Kendall Mountain Festival. Obviously, it's a four-day festival and it's so good to see everybody supporting it right till the end. And this is a, a, a real initiative of creativity and friends at the festival where we, we got together um, Oh, online, chatting with Matt Barr and Matt Pycroft, and we said, look, let's do something together, a collaboration, which is what Kendall's about, creating these sparks of creativity. And um, thanks to these guys, we've come up with this uh, solution where we're talking about new, new perspectives and storytelling, which again is the essence of Kendall. And um, I'm sure we're all in here fans of podcasts and fans of storytelling we've got two giants of the outdoor world adventure podcast to the together for the first time yeah, yeah it's a it's a massive a meeting of minds but also we've got an incredible panel which i'll let them introduce you but i think it's fair to say that both mats want it to be quite interactive with you and involve you so i'll get out of the way and let them do what they do best so please w welcome matt and matt cheers steve how's it going was anyone else in here dancing till three in the morning last night? I heard it was quite a good deal, actually. I bet you were there. Yeah. Um, yeah, so my name's Matt. I run a podcast called Looking Sideways. This is, we've, we're going to do the two Ronnies bit. So this is, this is also Matt, who does the Adventure podcast. Um, and we are friends, and we obviously work in a similar field, and we've kind of big admirers of each other's work. And we've always been, like, looking for an excuse to do something together. And today, here we are. So it's going to be pretty collaborative. We're, we're kind of quite keen to get um, input from everyone in the audience. It's Sunday afternoon. I'm guessing everyone's had a pretty long weekend. So we'll try and keep it quite mellow. Um, we're going to base this around three topics today. And we have nicked the question time format. Um, so basically, we're going to put the question to our panellists. 
And then we're going to open the floor to get questions. So please, anything that you want to ask, like just stick your hands up and we'll try and pick you out. So I'm going to hand over to Matt, who's going to introduce our panellists and then um, take the first topic and we'll see how we get on. Hello, everyone. I'm going to start by saying that I have had a very good festival and I've lost my voice. Yeah. Anyone else in a van till six in the morning with Leo holding on Friday night? (laughs) Just Matt? Okay. Right. They don't let me in. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah it's been an interesting one Um, I'm actually going to break the rules straight away and ask them to introduce themselves I just think in the context of this conversation um, it's important for you guys to understand exactly who they are and why they're here and this whole idea of new perspectives um, we do want to bring something new to this conversation we don't just want to sit here and tell you things you already know and we already think and feel and I think when we both spoke about it at the start both a bit fed up of echo chambers both a bit fed up of everybody saying the same thing we're both a bit fed up of everybody being nice to each other and not disagreeing about things with kindness and compassion. So I'm hoping today, if we do disagree with each other, we will. If you disagree with us, tell us. And as long as everybody's kind to each other, we welcome the debate. So one at a time, please, could you introduce yourself? Tell us who you are and what you do. How you doing, everyone? Um, my name's Adam Raj. I'm the market manager at Protect Our Winters UK. Um, I'm also a photographer, uh, outdoors, adventure sports. Dabbling a bit of writing occasionally. Yeah. Um, More than dabble, mate, I'd say. A dabbling. I was just going to put it on airplane mode, but you can't get any signal anyway around there, so it doesn't really matter, does it? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, better writing. Um, general outdoors. Love a bit of climbing, hiking, just really anything that gets me outdoors. Uh, hi, everyone. My name's Soraya, and I am the founder of an organization called All the Elements, which is a network for everyone creating change on diversity in the UK outdoors. Um, But I guess I'm here more today as um, a writer and a storyteller. My background is in journalism and I'm really passionate about getting stories out there and getting voices out there that aren't usually heard. Um, I think that's it. Nice. Hello, everyone. My name is Laura McCallum and I'm an activist, a snowboarder, a Highlander, a queer woman, and a fucking gobshite. So, <laughs> <laughs> that, that is true. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, I guess trying to kind of take all of those things together uh, and bring it to this conversation as well. I guess you could say I'm a bit of a storyteller um, to anyone who will listen. <laughs> so, yeah, looking forward to sharing this space with you this afternoon. Ace, thanks very much. So we're going to start with round one. Um, vulnerability in storytelling. It's something I suggested when Matt and I were talking about the themes. It's um, something I'm very passionate about, that I think about a lot. And it's one of the reasons I asked Adam to be on this panel is um, I'm a filmmaker by trade. That's what I do. Um, And I think that in order to make very good films, we have to ask something of those contributors that transcends just how did you climb that hard route, bro? I think those days are kind of gone. At least I hope they are. Help us to get rid of them. Um, And I recently made a film with Adam about his past and who he was, what changed, what went wrong, and who he is now. And I'm actually going to ask you, Adam, to begin by just talking a little bit about that project and what, what was required of you in order to do that, whether you wanted to, what was the process like? And what are your views on the importance of being vulnerable in order to tell effective stories? Remind me of those latter questions. I'll go over over you. I may need a few <laughs> prompts. Um, yeah, I'll maybe give a bit of background, first of all, just for, yeah, for please some context. Um, yeah, so uh, grew up uh, just outside of Glasgow, Cumbernauld, uh, sort of Glasgow overflow population town. Um, I grew up in a mixed ethnicity family. My mum's from Glasgow. My dad was from Pakistan, and it was a predominantly white area. And that that caused its own challenges, but the area itself also had a lot of um, a lot of alcohol abuse, a uh, lot of gang culture, a uh, lot of knife crime, um, and yeah, and those were the predominant sort of influences and pastimes really around about me. Those sort of formative formative years and yeah became became involved in the gangs I guess at a very young age and I said that to you when we did the podcast it's funny calling the gangs we would, we would never call it a gang it was it was a group of mates but it was very much postcode wars it was you're from a certain postcode these are your mates these guys are not they're your enemies and 
Um, yeah, it was quite turbulent based upon that and a lot of violence from a very young age. Um, I was thinking about this the other day as well and I was like, it was as common for some of my friends to put a school book or a knife in their bag, backpack as it was, a school book. And that's so terrifying to dwell back on now, now that I'm removed from that. But it was just normal and it was normal in the culture. Um, but it was a bit of a shite bag actually as well and I did not like fighting. <laughs> um, and I kind of strayed away from the gangs but the gangs put me in around sort of older criminals, people's big brothers, people's dads, people's uncles who were involved in other crime and drug dealing. Um, and I feel funny using this word as well, but I guess ultimately I was groomed from a young age into that um, environment. And yeah, I became a drug dealer at like 14 years old. Uh, and that, sorry, I'll try to keep this concise and going all day, but um, that ended up, yeah, ultimately taking me to prison. So after high school, instead of university, went to, went to prison, um, with youth offenders, I was sentenced to three years. And yeah, I managed to get out early, released early for good behavior on a tag, and just gradually, yeah, work on building, building a normal life again, off the back of that. And yeah, in the film with Matt, yeah, really, really explored that and then my transition to the outdoors um, and it was interesting yeah like when Matt first got in touch with me about the project I kind of well that was never the intention to do the film first of all we did a podcast we were literally talking about it five minutes ago like did the conversation had the conversation and I touched on all of these things but I was really beating around the bush we finished the recording and then afterwards um, went and cracked a beer came back on the call and started chatting. And that's when I started sharing, sharing the details with Matt. And that's where kind of the idea for the film um, came up. But I think at the time I agreed to it, never thinking it would happen. I think perhaps critically, I shared quite a lot with you once we'd stopped recording. We both just kind of went into this, yeah. got the sense we could. And we did sort of half an hour with a beer and you told me everything. Yeah, and um, yeah, it was daunting, even that conversation itself was daunting because that was a part of my past that I've been trying so hard over the past 10 years to distance myself from. So admitting that and, you know, owning it was quite challenging. But like I said, you had that sort of back and forth and I had an immediate rapport with you and I felt really, really comfortable with you. Um, and I agree, agreed to do the piece of content, like I said, not necessarily believing it was going to come, come to fruition and just, yeah, trusting you. But it was without throughout the process it took a while kind of talking to you um started bouncing ideas about until you know it became the project it did um overall if i'm honest the whole experience was super daunting pretty terrifying actually um felt very vulnerable feel very vulnerable right now talking about it actually well i was going to break the fourth wall afterwards and vulnerability in storytelling and what has this done to your perception of this man rather than him just telling you everything he thinks about this subject? Has it caused you to connect with him? Has it caused you to like him? Do you now value his opinions more as a result of what he's just shared with you? I'll leave those rhetorical questions with you for now. Can I ask you a quick question, Adam? So you, you, it was about reframing it almost then for you because you, you said something like that you... I guess there's shame, embarrassment originally about about your the story of your past. Um, so did this process help you kind of recalibrate it as a positive thing, like that you could use your story to to help other people? Yeah, totally. I think I still struggle with it somewhat, if I'm honest, because there are parts of the culture, you know, I don't want it to seem like I'm celebrating certain things. Sure. Um, but that's the thing. I think for me, being able to tell it and do the project was allowing me to take control of that narrative. Because, yeah, when, when people talk about this, there's a huge stigma about, you know, crime in, um, in, in, in the systems. So, yeah, I think, I think why I did leap at it, it was, it was that opportunity to frame it, have the nuance in it that you don't, you don't always see. And yeah, and just hopefully relate to people, you know, yeah back home because things I'm doing they're they're not doing 
and I would like them to do that, but I don't think they're even aware of some of the stuff. Sure. Like it was like the mountains. We said that in the podcast we did. I didn't know there was mountains in Scotland until I came out of prison. I'm pretty sure some of my mates still don't. None of their is now. Right. So, yeah, I guess of me speaking up in some way and telling my story could sort of help others on that journey. And just, you know, there's been conversations that have been happening all week over Kendall, but, but about masculinity, about identity, just help people open up and embrace that. Um, yeah, talking about our feelings wasn't something we did with my mates growing up. Yeah. Yeah. Can I ask, I've got a question for Soraya and, and Lauren um, almost together, because you, so the work you you do broadly is is you you share stories um, that, are, that are not often that well told, you know, in, in this community, in this industry. And you you guys have been doing that work for, for a while, you know, and, and in that time, the, the the industry is now keener to tell those stories. Let's just put it over the last like three years. And I've noticed that you, well, keener to talk about those stories. And I've noticed that you two find yourselves in a position where you're often asked to almost be like spokespeople for these issues. Um, because it's it's almost, I'm not going to use the word like tokenism, but there's very much a bit like, oh, let's get those people to talk about this. And I've we're friends and I've noticed the emotional toll that takes on both of you really, particularly at a weekend like this. Because um, that's the kind of other side of, of the vulnerability question, isn't it? Like how, you know, being asked to do that, to tell those stories is a very vulnerable position for both of you, right? So is that something that, you, that you've that you noticed as this conversation has progressed almost, Soraya? Yeah. <laughs> um. It's been a heavy weekend. Kendall is always uh, quite heavy for me. It's heavy for all of us working in these spaces, speaking on behalf of other people. Um, Coming to this for me has been a long process. I have for very many years as a woman of colour been approached within outdoor spaces and asked what my opinion is and why there are barriers for all people of colour, which I think uh, most of us will recognise as a very nuanced and difficult um, space to give voice to all of the different opinions and uh, approaches and wants and needs. Um, I think that, and me and Matt were actually talking about this earlier, that uh, I have put myself in this position in some ways because I realized that other people weren't being given a platform and a voice and I wanted to make sure that their voices were heard on a bigger stage like if I'm being given this platform then I'm going to make sure that everyone else's um, voices are going to be heard through me until we can open that door wide enough to pull people up here so they can speak for themselves Uh, the emotional toll of that is wild and I actually don't think there's a way to explain it because people come to me and ask me questions which are um I talk about working in diversity as like almost sometimes being like the worst possible thing that you can do because basically you invite people to come to you to tell you why your opinions and your life and people like you don't really matter as much um and it's all very well when an ally is being approached and asked that question, right? Because they don't have that emotional response to it. So my first response is always like, how dare you say that I don't belong in this space? But they're saying it hypothetically. They're talking, they're asking me about how other people feel about it. Um, You know, why is this important? Why should we be doing this work? And I'm like, well, because I deserve to be here, but that's not enough of a response. And so... um, yeah, it's important work and we need to do it. And we try and like, I think all of us like try and self-care ourselves as much as we can. Um, but it's hard. Yeah, 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 totally. I mean, I'm just going to cut straight to the fucking chase. I was in tears this morning. I phoned Matt and was like, I don't want to fucking do this. Like, I just can't, you know, I can't tell these stories anymore. Like it's, it's you can hear my voice shaking a little bit. But it is, it's hard and, uh, yeah, it's, it is hard and because when you're being that spokesperson, 
you are being vulnerable and people come and, you know, these, you know, I'm just being devil's advocate. Well, you're about to fucking meet the devil in person <laughs> in a fucking minute if you don't back off. Um, so, yeah, so it, 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 it is hard. And what is hard is challenging these systems. Like, we are brought up, these are systemic systems from when we're in our, you know, in our childhood. And I don't mean to be like crying activist on stage. It's so boring. But like, you know, um, <laughs> but, you know, it, 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 it is hard to be like, no, this is not okay. And actually, it's easier to kind of do it to, the, you know, the dickheads at 3 a.m. trying to play devil, you know, devil's advocate. The about, reply guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the reply guys. Yeah. But do you know actually where the really hard work is? Is doing it with people that you care deeply about mm. and whose pin opinions matter to you. And I think at Kendall, we, we have this. It's, it's like Christmas. I call it Christmas. Like we come together, you know, the first like 15 minutes is exciting. We open presents and then we start pissing each other off. And then we want to go home. Like, I think, yeah, it's, um, you know, K Kendall actually is, brings everyone together and it brings people whose opinions that we really care about. And so I think, so we're talking about the emotional toll having those difficult conversations with people in positions of real influence and real power and trying to get them to see your perspective. Because vulnerability for me, I think is just like, I need you to see me. I need you to, these are, these are the needs that I think we need to meet. And that's really fucking hard. Because if you're putting your needs out there, on behalf of, you know, um, different voices, different perspectives, you're asking somebody to meet them. And if somebody is like, no, fuck off, or whatever, or, you know, well, no, you know, well, I'm not really into it, or oh, maybe not for us, or, you know, whatever that is, essentially those needs continue to be unmet. And if our needs continue to be unmet, we become burnt out, long in the tooth, miserable, d disillusioned, disengaged, and all of these things are the exact opposite of what we need to tackle the big issues. Sorry? I cried yesterday morning <laughs> in base camp. I think Matt did as well, but maybe for different reasons. <laughs> and... Um, I was saying, I was talking about this experience and I was saying it's so hard at Kendall because so many people, it's a community of people, like lots of us know each other and I'm like crying and I'm trying to like exit out of the overwhelm that is base camp and as I'm going, people are like, oh, hi, Soraya, hi, Soraya. I'm like, hi, oh my God, yeah, I'll come back to you later. Um, but I think... One of the things that we haven't really talked about is, um, like you touched on it, is the importance when you're vulnerable of the person asking questions, being either being an ally or understanding on a deeper level what they're really asking questions about. Because you can, and there are ways to shortcut it, because if you have somebody who's from a similar background to you, who has had similar experiences to you, then you can get there quicker. But as an ally, you can also get there, but it just takes much more work, right? Yeah, yeah. so much more uh, research, because there is nothing that puts me off being vulnerable than going into a conversation with someone who clearly doesn't understand my work, right, has not, like, even bothered really to look up about, like, what the biggest challenges are at the moment, and they come to me with such a basic question, and then we talk about that basic question, what are the barriers to the outdoors? And then we talk about that for the whole session, and we never get any deeper than that, and we never get into any nuance, and I'm just not interested in engaging at that point. Well... As is probably obvious, I think we could do this for a couple of hours. And I would I'm already watching the clock a bit like, oh, yeah, yeah, I've really yeah. got an hour. So rather than asking the 10 questions I have, I think we'll jump to Q&A from you guys. We'll try and keep this lean, if possible, please, with the questions and the answers. So on the subject of vulnerability, does anybody have any questions or anything they'd like to say? I'll echo, please keep it quick. 
So at this point, I'm going to break the rules a little bit. And this is a post-recorded note. Uh, the audience questions that we asked in the room on the day were not mic'd. So we don't have those recordings. And I think we'll struggle with context if we let you carry on without them. So I've summarized them now and added them in here. I guess this first question, summarized as succinctly as possible, is in an industry in the world that's dominated by stories of alpha males, essentially white men climbing mountains, and when a fairly big chunk of the audience is craving those kind of stories, how do we make room for vulnerability, for alternative stories? How do we pave the way for storytelling that transcends those kind of archaic and traditional ideas? Yeah, the cultures celebrate like alpha achievement, don't they? You know, it's kind of it's kind of the point. And that MO in this industry, which we're all lucky enough to work in, is is very particular and it is very alpha, very kind of celebratory, like quite, you know, conquering, all that kind of language. So I guess the question you're asking is, yeah, like, how do you find room for vulnerability when that's the kind of language of the day, right? I might actually pass that to Matt, because that's that's Matt's stock in trade really i mean that's what you do isn't it? that's what you've done with adam with this story you know? yeah and actually sometimes i'm criticized for it internally i mean some of my my staff team are often joking with me but they say oh god here we go another sub story right but it's i'm, I'm really motivated motivated by them but i think the difference between a professional and amateur pros are making stuff for other people whether that's a client whether that's a crowd and it's about audience appetite now i direct films for national geographic um kind of the, the four million people watch them thing and it drives me insane because the exec producers are always saying more jeopardy, more jeopardy. Can you get Alex to say as a pickup, um, if we fell now, we die. <laughs> and I've, I have to do that. Now, I'm starting to get to the point with confidence and career where I can fight back a bit. But this summer, they, everything they want with this mountain film we made was jeopardy, jeopardy, jeopardy. And I'm saying the actual story here is that Alex Honnold thinks he's losing the fire now that he's happy. That's your story. Now, but it, I think it actually falls to us as an audience to say, do we want to hear that or do we want to watch Alex Honnold do something gnarly, bro? And, uh, you know, and I think that just to big up Kendall for a sec, I think I've been coming here for 15 years and I've watched the program change. And, you know, it, it's, it's that whole like shifting baseline syndrome. If you came here for the first time this year, you'd still think there was a lot of alpha achievement bro culture. I am telling you that it is changing. Maybe not fast enough, blah, 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 but it is changing. Um, and it's communication, storytellers, like it falls to us to champion these stories. And vulnerability is really, really attractive. It's attractive. It, you know, if Adam had stood here and told us how brilliant he was, we'd all be thinking, yeah, 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 great, another one. But instead <laughs> he said, hey, guys, I'm going to share something with you now. You've been super vulnerable. We don't know each other. And I'm instantly going, oh, my God, my respect for you has just gone boom. You can do that and sit here. That's bravery. Climbing something at your limit and telling everybody how great you are is not really that brave. I'd say it actually reeks of insecurity, but that's a different conversation for another day. What you're saying is I need to work harder. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm going to say you don't need to work yeah, harder, yeah, I know. Given, given how much work I know you do. Um, <coughs> any, anybody else, front row? And the second question summarised is, how do you go about learning to be more vulnerable? What does it take to actually be part of these stories on camera and on the screen? Just because it's new for him, do you mind if we ask Adam to answer that first? Yeah. Um, I mean, like I said, yeah, it was really difficult for me to be vulnerable. And there was a scene when we did the film, actually, where I went to see my mum and my gran, and we'd never sort of sat down and had a conversation about the past and the things that had happened. I cried while I was filming it. I cried last Kendall too. <laughs> I held it in until I got in the car on the way home though. <coughs> Jesus. Um, but yeah, and I did cry. I cried during that conversation in front of Matt and it was so hard for me because my preconception of masculinity and being strong and what I needed to be wouldn't allow for that. Like I wouldn't have survived in the gang culture if I cried in front of my mates. Um, and it was amazing, though, actually, during that experience, because I looked at you, and you were welling up, too, and it just made me feel so comfortable to be like that. And you literally came up to me after and said, I respect you so much more for crying. But, yeah, it's just gave me so much more confidence, and overall, it's just been cathartic, because I have had a lot of stuff bottled in that I've not dealt with, that I'm still working through now. Um, and it's very much set me on that journey. <clears throat> 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I feel like we're really evidencing the vulnerability. Yeah. Today. <laughs> yeah. <Like> that box. <laughs> oh, thanks, Adam. Yeah. Well, should we, in the interest of time, I've just noticed we've already done half an hour we're only on one topic, so should we flick it on one? How do we take climate storytelling out of the echo chamber? Here we go. Um, this was my... Fucking this was, this was, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, sorry, team. This was, this was my one. Um, I mean, my take on this personally is that, you know, these movements, whether it's like universal suffrage or civil rights, which for me is what the climate conversation is, it's on a par with those, like, generational social movements. Um, taking being as universally accessible, taking the middle ground with you um, is essential really for success, if you like. And my personal view, and I've done a lot of, had a lot of these conversations on the podcast that I run and I know Matt's had a lot of these conversations as well, is that it can be quite echo chamber, for want of a better word. It can be, it can be quite inward looking. It can be very much focused on, um, you know, the activist world, if you like, and it's not necessarily cutting through to the people that perhaps we're going to need it to cut through to if there's actually going to be the shifts that I believe personally that, that we need. Um, so, Lauren, I was interested in your take on this. Firstly, do you, do you agree with the question? Do you think we need to do that? Take it out of the echo chamber? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, resounding yes, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, does climate like comms have a, a, in a in a bit of a crisis and yes 100 percent is um I, I don't think we are explaining it but very well but i think in terms of a, an echo chamber um you know i was quite hungover this morning but i was thinking about this and you know what so my question to myself was what creates an echo chamber and so it's a safety net where we have a collective held views and slogans and, you know, little little kind of, I don't know, uh, quirks, whatever it is, the culture. And we, we kind of all behave like this, think like this, and if we do this, we'll be accepted. And, the, and in this echo chamber, it's not really challenged. And so, <clears throat> to, I mean, talking about vulnerability, to, so to challenge or to progress or to get out of the echo chamber, we have to think about why do I believe? Why do I believe what I believe? Where did I get that from? Who taught me that? Who gave, where did I, where, where, where did I learn this? Um, and to do that takes a lot of, you know, inner reflection, maturity, um, you know, vulnerability. Um, and I think as a community, we uh, are, you know, we haven't really done that very well. Um, and so, but if we want to win or have success in the climate stories, we are going to have to build across the political spectrum. And so why why do I believe what I believe? And where does that make you, or where do you stand on basis on that? Or why, sorry, I'm pointing towards you. But like, you know, why do you believe what do you believe? And how does that to relate from where I, where I stand? And that, to, to, to work that out, is a lot of work. But then if we do that, then we can start to see each other's different perspectives and so I have definitely found in myself I have matured I have been more vulnerable because when I first came into this space I was like fuck yeah fuck fucking activism Ooh, yeah big signs you know like let's stick it to the man let's do it let's 
you know, let's all that sort of stuff. And there's, of course, there's a part of activism that it, that is. It's real. got its place. Yeah, it's, it's part of the it's part of the conversation. Yeah, it's it's got its place. But if I really want to shift the political needle, where we will really win is if I can sit with somebody who has completely polar opposite, you know, views of mine and find common ground. So an example I'll make of that is <clears throat> I live in the Highlands and Scottish uh, estates, sporting estates, are, you know, uh, <laughs> the uh, epitome of class and, oh, you know, land, resources, everything. And so uh, keepers, people, people don't, uh, keepers are right folk who work the land traditionally very conservative and I was having a discussion with my mate very conservative you know like we've had to stop having a conversation about gay marriage um but we were talking about nature and actually it took maturity for me to be like he fucking cares about this land and nature just as much as I do we are just coming at this from completely different angles. And to find that common ground between us, we were talking about rewilding. From both of us, you could see the fucking penny drop with, you know, and that was actually one of the most incredible conversations that I've had in a very, very long time. And so, sorry, I'm taking up too much time. But yeah, I think... Yeah, that's what I think. <laughs> Can I ask you a quick question based on that then? Because yeah. correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like there that what you've got there is the marriage of actually understanding the important issue to both sides. Yours yeah. is environmentalism and conservation. Yeah. His is cultural heritage. The, well, mine was actually cultural heritage and his was conservation. It was, we it was oh, wow, weird. Okay. Yeah. yeah, that is. I mean... Okay, maybe we'll talk about that later. Yeah, yeah. So, because um, <laughs> I really want to know yeah. how... Our wrestle. But... Um, so to what extent do you think the issue is actually that we're saying, here's what I think and here's why it matters, yeah. rather than how do I effectively communicate with this person based yeah. on how they like to be given information, yeah. their current beliefs, yeah. the way they've been raised, because we yeah. recognize that it's not necessarily their fault, the things that they think and feel. Yeah. And how do we, should we be thinking more like marketeers? How are we going to sell these people this information rather than just saying, this matters, listen to me? Soraya, I just saw you take a deep yeah. take of breath. Then. <laughs> it's because I feel like we're still, um, I, I agree. I do completely agree. And I was thinking about um, the concept of meeting people where they are and, and talking to them about things that they care about. And I mean, I get asked a lot about how do we engage underrepresented groups with uh, sustainability and climate and you know, my example is, and I know I sound bored, but that's because I'm so bored of, like, talking about it in this way. But um, it's like, well, let's talk about air pollution. If we're talking, we're, if we're working with running groups that are based in cities, let's start, start talking about air pollution because actually that's something that's very tangible and obvious and much easier to uh, get people engaged with because it does impact people on a day-to-day -day basis. But then I was just thinking the main problem and my background, which I didn't talk about at the beginning, is in sustainability for businesses. So like this is like very much in my wheelhouse and is very much like something I've been working on for a really long time as well. We just need to solve like we need to have a dual purpose of solving all of the other day to day issues that people are experiencing in their lives that stop them being able to take on all of these additional big picture challenges. Like, if you are working out how to feed your family, communicating to people saying, well, actually, you really should be buying this type of food from this type of place that's, like, made in this way, it's just not the way. Yeah. Adam, how about you with your workers to protect our winters? Like, is this something, a challenge that you're coming up against, like, how to, to communicate, you know, in an effective way, let's say? Yeah, definitely. I was I was thinking about it with my marketing cap on because like you're always looking at the why. Anytime you're putting out a comms, you're why are you why are you communicating this and what what are you trying to achieve? And I think that's a thing, even within our audience, our audience as lovers of, of the outdoors, that's the common ground, whether they're mountaineers or they're dog walkers, whatever they're doing, the common ground is the outdoors. So a lot of our comms are sort of focused around about that. But there's a lot of differences as well within that 
community and as, I think it is a challenge and especially as a, a charity and an NGO with limited resources we don't have the funding to segment and have it all automated um, so it can be a really time um, consuming consuming process um, but no certainly and I think we kind of touched upon it on a conversation I think bringing that storytelling into it is, is, is so important um, because I think regardless of the differences in our backgrounds, one of the things we all share is emotions and emotional reactions yeah. to things. Um, so it's certainly something I would like to get better at doing in our comms. Um, and yeah, and, 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 and then have that, have that funding coming in to, to, to fund the resources that help us do so and communicate effectively. Yeah. Anyone want to take this one on? Oh, a very quick hand there. <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about this in the bar the other day, and you said, I'm coming and I'll be at the front. <laughs> so the third question, uh, the lady asking the question comes from a business background, but moved into activism and oceans and is now moving into a new role at Greenpeace. She wants to know if the panel has any advice on bringing the bigger picture issues and climate problems to wider audiences. So I used to work in oceans, and so, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, um, it's a massive challenge. And I feel like maybe this is something that we should talk about afterwards. Um, I think getting people from, to experience things firsthand, which is what I did a lot of work doing, like taking people, different backgrounds, different experiences from different places in the world out on the oceans for us was like something that was like transformational to then have them go home and tell their own stories of how they experienced that themselves rather than having the story being told by other people and like pressed on them was like one of the biggest game changers. But there were, I have so many learnings. I did it. I was in oceans for six, seven years. So, yeah. Anybody else? No one's taking it on. Lauren, have you got any views? Yeah, no, I was just going to say, you know, like, I, yeah, we, we hear that all the time. It snows, you know, in the Alps, fucking boohoo. Um, and, like, you know, um, so, yeah, you know, like, oh, we can't go skiing, so worry, whatever. Um, yeah, really not that compelling call to arms, is it? Especially for a lot of my working classmates that are like, fuck off, listen to yourself right now. And I think we, you know, do need a bit of that that grounding. But if we do lose snow in the Alps, you know, and the rate that we're losing it is a lot of Europe is going to be out of drinking water. Mm. And if we're out of drinking water, then we're into a resource war. And if we're into a resource war, that is when, you know, violence against women, all you know, all these huge multipliers of, of the impacts of climate change, crop losses, c clashes of religion, values, like this is, and you know, that's how war starts. And I actually was speaking to somebody at the MOD on Friday, it's just just a, a a mate of mine, and they are doing so much work into this. So not like I'm saying that power would you know lead with there's going to be a war, but it's more like how do we get out of that echo chamber? Well, you know, okay, we might get people in firstly about hey, this is impacting what we love, this is impacting the sports that we love, but actually it's all going to result in us not having any drinking water, and I think. But if we started with, oh my God, we're all going to lose drinking water, it almost becomes too much. And people are like, oh, Jesus Christ. You know, like, and so I think we call it an activist ladder, you know, like you, you've got to get people in and we're going to lose snow in the Alps. And then, you know, we can activate them or push them up the activist ladder, you know, and, and into the, the other impacts. And I think that... That's what Adam was touching on as well. Like we would love to do more like segmentation work so that we know where people have come in and do all that, you know, political and data mm -hmm. science. But to do that properly is hundreds of thousands of pounds. And Power UK is a 200K organisation. <laughs> but to what extent do you think that comes back to that question of who are we speaking to and why and actually a yeah. priority list of what matters? I mean, I've just made a film um, for a company, a charity, NGO, and it's going to get watched by three people. And they've spent more on that film than they would on something they wanted to put on YouTube for millions because they need to convince those three people. You know, how much do you think we need to shift our mindset away from... I had a big... Well, it was a fun argument with Alex Honnold and Tommy Cobwell of climbing fame in Alaska about this, of, like, raising awareness, which Honnold thinks is total horseshit and Tommy thinks is everything. I suppose my question is, 
should we just be raising awareness or do we need to think more about the more nuanced idea of who are we trying to convince and what are we trying to convince them to do? I think the more that we can uh, have all of it, the better. I don't think we have to choose. We have enough powerful communicators and enough voices out there to reach all of the different people. I think what you're saying about targeting, though, is important. It's like knowing who you are speaking to and what you are trying to communicate to them. I mean, it goes back to like 101 of like any type of storytelling or calls to action, right? It should be, but it seems to consistently be gotten wrong, I think. I don't know. Well, maybe we should run some training. Sounds like another another session to me. Um, so we've got, I think we've got 15. So it's kind of working out all right on timing. So Matt, do you want to take the next one? Should we? Sure thing. Slide three, please. Small topic. <laughs> For to 15 close. minutes. Yeah, so obviously what we're speaking to here is, well, it says for those who can't see, is long form dying, you know, we do podcasts for a living, so obviously we don't think so. Um, but again, this was one that I suggested, and I think it's because of social media, um, attention, retention, and actually it feeds into the other points, our ability to communicate complex stories. Can they be done quickly? Well, not often. You can make a kind of punch in the face point quite quickly, but you can't get across the nuance. Now... I'm going to throw in a couple of quick opinions and then I'm just going to throw it at you and say is long from dying. People will watch seven seasons of Game of Thrones, five episodes at a time, but they won't watch a feature film about the death of the oceans. Um, people will spend four hours in the bath scrolling through reels a thousand at a time. That's one content session, but they won't watch a 15-minute film about you know, that Greenpeace are releasing about X, Y, or Z. Why is that? Is it just a dopamine addiction? And whatever your view is, how do we solve it? Oh, you, on you go, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know how authoritatively I can speak on this, but just like, I love the idea of long-form content. Buy books that I don't read, um, or that I want to read. I've got a bookshelf full of them. Um and, you know, it's, it is that, I think it's a symptom of our lives currently as well. You know, I feel like I'm always chasing my tail. So you like that quick hit, something you can dive into. But at the same time, you know, some of my favourite podcasts are the ones that run three, four hours. Um, so that was a bit of a non-answer. But, um, yeah, it's a, I think it's complex, really. Um, because, yeah, like I said, I would like to read the longer books I would like to watch films but I just do not have the attention span for it at times and I don't know if that is then the symptom of social media constant stimulus um cure for that though sounds like your answer is maybe long form is dying <laughs> it could be and I think I'm part of the problem actually <laughs> at least I'm buying the books well you know I'm self-supporting there's, there's a lot of received wisdom in this though isn't there because I, I don't know what it was like when you set up your podcast but the, one of the reasons that I set mine up was because I'm a journalist I've been working as a journalist for 25 years now and I just got sick of being told that people had short attention spans like every time I pitch something like um anyone that's listened to my podcast will know it is extremely self-indulgent um <laughs> un unapologetically so so really but you know I was pitching as a journalist and I was just constantly getting told that people didn't people weren't interested that they, they wouldn't read it like they, it had to be less it had to be quick I just fundamentally didn't believe it. I was just like, I'm not really having that. So I was, the, the reason I set my own thing up was to, firstly, because I was bored of trying to pitch to those people. And secondly, I just I just thought, I don't really buy that. And I think it's obviously massively anecdotal in my case, but it, it, there is an appetite for it. That's what I found. And the more honesty there is in it and, and the more you commit to it, the more people seem to like it in, in my experience. So I, I I do find a lot of, I mean, it's like anything in media and storytelling as well. There's just, there's just a lot of received wisdom that when you test it is actually just a load of bullshit, really. So my initial response to this was as someone who has just started writing in-depth things, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> Um, coming back round to it. But um, I wonder if... Sometimes I question 
is long form dead? Is it just that we're just bored of the stories that have been being put out? And so actually the reason why traditional long form is dead is because people just don't really care about going into depth in those stories anymore. And so actually I think the more niche you are and the more you are telling stories that people aren't hearing about, the less dead it is. Yeah, that's broadly my take really as well. Lauren, what do you reckon? I was going to say, well, I've got ADHD. <laughs> um, so, yeah, my attention... I mean, I... Uh, yeah, I mean, I've zoned out, actually, came back in. So, um, so it's long form of dead. Well, I couldn't even fucking concentrate for two minutes there. So, but I think, like, you know, you, you were talking about uh, Game of Thrones and, like, succession and all that. For me, I, I love long form content. Like I, like, I, like, I do, but I just... I think for me, but it's who tells me to engage. Like, if you send me something, Matt, or if you send me something, or even you, Adam, or like, you know, uh, Leslie, my, my good mate, you know, Leslie McKenna, like, um, and, or like, people that, you know, I have real connection with, and be like, watch this. I will watch it. And I think, maybe to your point of like, if we just kind of instant, like, doom scrolling, I think a lot of it is just because we're engaging with that shorter content, and then we're telling other people about that. Um, but I think for me, it's about, I guess my other point was about ambassadors. And like, we use ambassadors a lot at POW because that's their influence to be like, you know, I've watched this, engage in this is, is really powerful. So yeah, I think, um, I think it's, it's about who is, who is sharing, you know, who's helping you get that story out there and what kind of authenticity or um, cultural gatekeeper <laughs> what I'm going to call it. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is, I mean, essentially what we're saying is this is an exercise in curation as well because it's, I recently was talking to a client about this, I think it's 40,000 minutes uploaded to YouTube every second. What? Yeah. And so, and the reason that this (laughs) like, you know, often we're watching crap. I think that's what we're watching four out of tens consistently and it's quite difficult to find what the good stuff is. I mean, I'm I'm a stickler for it. I won't watch anything that's less than 90% on Rotten Tomatoes because I don't have much spare time. But actually, how do we, and I guess this is kind of rhetorical, it's more of an opinion than a question, how do we curate high-quality long-form better so that it's more accessible, so that it can be found? Um, Should sign up to the Looking Sideways 10 things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wait. <laughs> what a plug. Yeah. But, it, but I, one, one other point I want to throw in, which is data really fast, sorry, is um, the streamers are down. Disney's dying. BBC's struggling. C4 are struggling, like... 60% commissions down this year. It's like telly is... And who knows what's going to replace it? It's actually a really nice lead into what I was going to say, which is... <laughs> um, I think that when we say is long-form dead, what are, we, what are we talking about in terms of numbers? And are, actually, are we looking for, like, mass market interaction with everything? Or, to your previous point, are we targeting, like, a certain group of people with long-form content, which, as Lauren's saying, is the type of content that's going to be shared with the right people and around in that network? And if it reaches the right 10 people, does it matter if it doesn't meet 10 million people? No, it depends on your ambition, right? Yeah. Um, anyone? Any questions? Marcus? So here a member of the audience congratulated Adam on his honesty and vulnerability, but spoke about the complexity of telling stories like these. And he said he felt like he'd been taken on a journey through the people on the stage's stories. The essence of the question was around how to tell these stories. Tech has paved the way for anyone to be able to make films and tell stories, but are they going to be any good? Super great. I think there's something there around craft, though, because I don't... I don't want to be self-congratulatory, but I think like, you know, for all of us, but that it is deliberate. You know, there's like a, there's a reason to get Adam to tell you a story first rather than us jumping with some data on a screen. You know, and I think actually there's this conversation around who is telling these stories? Are we thinking about them carefully enough? Are they being well-crafted? And I think my personal opinion on this, which is a little bullish, is people aren't doing their time a lot now. Um, I'm 15 years in. I definitely sort of like, thought I was better than I was. I happened to be a white man, which tends to lead to that sort of thing. But, um, you know, I think survey time as a storyteller, learn from other people. Telling long-form stories is actually really, really hard. Anybody else? 
Yeah. And this next question is around um, this continued idea of is long form dying? The question was, is long form dying because the brands and the people that are commissioning these sorts of content in these sorts of spaces only want short form because that's what the algorithms like, it's what YouTube likes? I think branded content is a relatively recent phenomenon. And I think actually, you know, that it's kind of an isolated silo. So, I mean, yesterday we premiered a feature film here, 52 minutes long, exclusively paid for by a brand. Now, we haven't yet decided whether they'll release it for free, tour it, chart, not my picnic. I made them a movie. They paid me to make it. Well, actually, what we're looking at here is can, I think historically, brands aren't willing to be as brave as an independent filmmaker would be when it comes to interesting long form. Um, and often filmmakers are turned off by the idea of working with a brand because they lose creative autonomy. The question actually is how can an independent filmmaker with a good idea secure that funding? And the answer is really complicated and actually wealthy people. I think we're going to see more patronage. I think we're going to see more, particularly like our sort of generation of people who've made money maybe in tech or whatever, they're going to be looking for people to patron, to come to me and say, I'll give you a million quid to tell a story about rhinos. You know, can I be an exec producer? That sounds fun. I think, I actually know that that's happening quite a lot. Oh, fuck it, I'll just tell you. I've just, <laughs> I've just made one yeah. where a wealthy person paid for me to make a film about rhinos. No brand, no nothing. <laughs> I mean, if you're a wealthy person, you know, and you, you got the tick list, oh, I might make a film about rhinos. Yeah. You know, what now, I've bought this submarine, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think we've got time for one more question. So, yeah, here we go. And the final question of this event is a great one, which is, if you had the ability to be able to tell any story that you knew would have an impact, which story would you tell? That's a great question. Let's all do one each. Yeah, that's a great that's, question. That's an awesome question. Well, let's let, let's let these guys yeah, yeah. go. Yeah. So, if you if you had the if you had the the capacity to tell any story that you wanted that had an impact, like what would you tell? Ooh, impact. See, uh, yeah, I, maybe it, because again, I think. Uh, I've not, yeah, that's interesting because I've not thought about it from an impact way, but about what is important to me or what story would I think that's I why it's such tell. a good question as yeah, well. Yeah, so um, I have actually been trying to get this film made for about five years. <laughs> um, uh, I would really like to make a film about digging where we stand and leadership as an act of service. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> Really no one will it. pay for it, so... <laughs> yeah, how's that pitch going? <laughs> yeah. Well, to be honest, D Dig We Stand, I was trying to get the mountain bike brands to, to pay for it, and they're yeah. like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, you what, mate? <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure I want to go after that. Do you want to go next? Um, yeah, what, what immediately came in my mind there actually was um, something on the impacts of racism within a family. Not that it'll poor me, that name hurt my feelings. Um, but I, I don't have a relationship with my father to this day based upon how race, my, my experiences with racism made me feel about him. Um, and I, yeah, I ended up hating him based upon, yeah, nothing more than, you know, where he was born and what that made me. Um, and I think you don't always, or you don't hear that nuance a lot when you're, when you're hearing about impacts of racism. Um, and, yeah, that, that impacts the whole fam family dynamic when the kids look like the dad. Um, yeah, it's, it's kind of got generational impacts to an extent, so maybe something along that. Yeah, another great, another great answer. That's oh. <laughs> So it's interesting, like, being up here talking about vulnerability and hearing people talking about, like, such raw things which I I do do but less so now because I'm a voice for others so what came up for me was the nuance within diversity in the outdoors is so lacking in storytelling like people see a group that is for uh black people hiking and they think all of the groups that do hiking for black people are the same and they have the same aspirations and they have the same goals and they want to work in the same way. And they and to me, I would really love to do something. And I'm working on some like some other pieces in this area. But yeah, I would love to do something on that that really helps people understand that there's so much more going on than, oh, you're so inspiring. Like, thanks so much for setting that thing up and then moving on to the next. Brilliant. Well, we're out of time. 
Thank you, everybody. So we're going to release this as a podcast. We're going to put it on both our shows if anyone wants to check that out. But yeah, thanks so much to the panellists, obviously, for their vulnerability today. Yeah, and I think, you know, thank you guys for coming out here. Like, obviously, these are big topics, big themes, and thanks for sitting through it. This is a long-form conversation, right? And actually, my little cheesy speech is the origin of all of this is that storytelling was done verbally from person to person. These are all methods of just telling stories, podcasts, photographs, films. I think we need to work towards a world where we're getting back to a storytelling community, a storytelling species, let's stop doing this too much and let's turn around and talk to each other. And we met this morning and I'm going to be really honest with you for a second. You intimidated me actually because I read up a lot about you and I'm scared as a white man consistently of getting it wrong, but you immediately made me feel like I could get it wrong and you would be kind with your delivery of that. And I instantly felt reassured. And I think we, it actually falls to us to to be bold and brave with our conversations, but to be kind and compassionate when people aren't getting it right. Um, that's my call to arms. Is that all right? Or do you want to do something good? No, there we go. I think we, I think we end it there. So thanks a lot, everybody. Yeah, and thanks, Kendall, for uh, giving us this slot. It's been great. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, then be sure to check out the Looking Sideways podcast. Thanks so much to Kendall Mountain Festival for hosting us and to Adam, Soraya and Lauren for joining us on stage. This podcast is hosted by Matt Pycroft and produced and edited by Laura Jaycock. If you'd like to get in touch or give us feedback or make a guest suggestion, then you can email me at matt at terraincognita.studio or you can follow along on Instagram at The Adventure Podcast. <laughs>